0: Hello, welcome to Real Men Feel. I am healer, coach, and author, Andy Grant. Thank you for joining us today as we explore vulnerability in men. If you've done everything that you're supposed to do, yet still feel like something is missing, I invite you to book a complimentary clarity call with me. Visit theandigrantcom slash talk. While I still have a couple slots available for one-on-one work, again, go to theandygrant.com slash talk because you matter. My guest today is a coach and author of The Vulnerable Man, Thomas Anderson. Thomas joins us from Sweden and proves that so many of the falsehoods around what a man is supposed to be are actually global issues. Thomas opens up about discovering that he is a highly sensitive person. We dig into what that even means and why being called sensitive can be so triggering. We also touch on our experiences with suicidal thoughts and share the best thing that you can do for someone in that situation. Let's do it. Welcome, Thomas, to Real Men Feel. Thank you. You know, I know that there was a time in your life that you were successful in your career, and your family, in your home, but you still felt like something was missing, which I hear from a lot of guys. So what was that period of your life like? Well, I think it's it was so
1: strange. It's like I had everything. I was sort of doing my thing in the career. I had a good job. I worked as a management consultant. I took on more responsibility because it was fun. And I was like taking on this sales job and uh, doing more things. And I had my family I had my stepchildren and we got a dog and we had the cats, we had the house. I had like everything, but I don't know. It was like, I always been fixing things. I always been the one getting things done. I've been helping everyone else. I sort of tried to, like I've been doing that the whole time. But I think during that time, I didn't know how to take time for myself. And I just felt I needed to be for everyone, but I forgot to be there for me. And then I just started feeling like, what, what am I doing? What is wrong i have everything but then still on the inside it was like do people only like me but for the things i do and i was worried of uh, starting to losing things because if i didn't do well enough at work because like it was a new chance maybe i would not get the chance again and if i started talking about the feelings with my wife at that time would it cause any problems would it be like if i talked about that i was a bit sort of worried or What would happen? And I don't know, I I was sort of locked within myself and sort of my energy was just drained. And uh, yeah, it was very rough times.
0: So until this point, had you never spoken about your doubts, your concerns? You never shared that part of you with your wife or anybody else? I talked about some things, but I think one thing I realized was that, like,
1: I think one part of me, I thought this is not okay. Like this, I maybe this sensitive Thomas, I always heard that I, I overthink, I worry too much. And I think that part of me, I didn't want to show because I was the one helping others. And that was the way it always had been. And I think that was the thing. What happens if I ask for help? It was just like, it was a mix of some things I could do and ask for help. But I think when it was very sort of personal and like these emotional things and, and actually talking about things that actually matter, then it was hard to talk about. Like if you have problems in a relationship, because I was worried if I, if I talk about that, that I... I wonder how, how it is in this relationship right now. Because I thought if I just talk about it, I will open this big, uh, I don't know if it's called box of worms, whatever you say. But I thought I was worried that, oh, if I talk about it, everything will just crash. So it's better just to hold it in because, yeah.
0: And now this, the idea of holding it all in and you know, I find it interesting, they said talking about things that matter, but were you, were you kind of trained to not talk about things that matter? Was it part of your upbringing? Was it, were you taught don't talk about these personal things. Don't talk about how you feel.
1: I think in a way, yeah, I think that's what happened. But I sort of see right now with a perspective is that I see that sort of during my teenage years, I thought about a lot of things. I was worrying, but I think I sort of started to talk about things. But then I maybe heard that this is, oh, you're worrying too much. We don't talk about this. And then I sort of stopped talking about it. And I started to say, okay, this part of me is wrong. So I put up sort of a wall or I played a role that, okay, this I not, don't talk about, and this I talk about. And now I sort of realized that I never practiced and learned how to sort of understand my emotions. Now looking back back at teenagers, and I say, and I didn't learn how to manage all these things bubbling within me. And I think that was happened early that, okay, this is not good. This is not good. Maybe I was a bit bullied in, in school uh, and things like that. So that's what I sort of see that these things you don't talk about. Mm.
0: All right. So you've not talked about things for quite a while, but you've kind of reached this breaking point that, you know, so what was that point for you and what did you do about it? Well, the breaking point was
1: at the time I was like thinking about suicide. Should I even sort of stay here in one way that the, the sort of maybe strange things or I don't know, it was like the, the thoughts came of like, how can I sort of take my life? But also I knew I wouldn't do it. So I sort of allowed those dark thoughts and I thought, OK, how should I do it? well, I maybe can go down to the, to the ocean and maybe just put on a lot of clothes and just fall in the water. Because also I think about others because I thought if I just commit my, will take my life, uh, then my family will not get any insurance money or a life insurance. So I thought I need to make it like an accident so they would get the life insurance. So even though at that time, I sort of think more about others than me. But also I sort of, I sort of knew that I, w- I wouldn't do it, but sort of those thoughts were quite heavy. But then I actually had one friend at that time that I talked to and I, I don't know, we started talking and then I realized, well, you have been happy before. What has happened? And then I started, started thinking about that. And there were some things happening. This was about six years ago. And I went to a different, I a sort of, ai played, I played a saxophone. I went to a sort of a dance camp and I met some people there and they, I hang out a lot with them and they, they liked me and we had a lot of fun. And I was like, they are two amazing people. And they like me, what's happening here? And they just, I can just be myself. And just before leaving that um, event, uh, one, it was a couple. And and the the girl said to me, Thomas, you're an amazing person. And those things at that time, it's like, I need to change. Something needs to change. And I sort of need to find a way back to myself. And and, uh, at that time, I just sort of, I don't know, just felt deep within that. If I should recover, my body needs to be well. So I just decided I need to sort of start exercising. I need to eat better. And that sort of was my first step to actually, I need to do a change. And that was actually quite hard for me to actually go to the workout or go to the gym. And I sort of stayed in the sauna afterwards. And I had a bad conscience because I should go home. I should fix something. I should do something. And also starting saying, you know, at work because I usually just took on everything. If people asked me, could you do anything? I was like, yeah, of course. And I didn't really think that I already had too much. So those, I think, small steps created a space for me, and then eventually I went to a therapist for highly sensitive persons then, and, and started talking. That was like maybe five months afterwards when I did that first
0: change. So did you discover or decide that you were a highly sensitive person on your own, or was that during the course of therapy?
1: I have a friend that sort of had a yoga center down in, in uh, south of Sweden. And I don't know were we were just talking about talking about it i say like i just sense too much and i I just like get overwhelmed if there's a group of people or i don't know like i think about all these things all the time and i just like sense so much and just she she just said like oh maybe you're a highly sensitive person i was like what's that because like i'm an engineer and this sounds like really sort of out there (laughs) so this is like this is a strange emotions no no engineer logic math that's me but uh, I trust her very much. And I went to her for a first uh, therapy session. And that was, it, we talked for three hours. And that was just mind-blowing, mind-blowing.
0: So for people not familiar with the term, highly sensitive person, how do you define that?
1: Well, there's a lot to look out if you want to sort of read about it. Just sort of search about it. It's, you can find a lot online. But I think the abbreviation, it's DOS, D-O-E-S. And it stands for that you sort of take in more information. Like the D stands for deep processing, that you actually sense more, that you sort of feel well, what other feel, and you sort of take in that information. And it's, it's not nothing strange. And they say like highly sensitive persons, it's like 15 to 20% of the population. So it's not nothing strange. It's just that we take in more or less information. And the O stands for that you can get overstimulated, that it's sort of too much that happens. And, and because you take in so much information and it's overwhelming. And that's what I can recognize as well, because I had my job. I had uh, the kids, everything going on. And, you know, it's just, you need to take care of everything. I see myself sometimes that, you know, the, I don't know if it's called the sheep dog, you know, keeping control of all the sheep and you sort of, you're running around, and you can picture it, you're sort of running around, checking it. And then just imagine that maybe you're in control of one, one, I don't know if it's called a pack of sheep. I don't know what it's called, but <laughs> <or her>, maybe, <laughs> but if you have that, but then imagine if you have five or 10 of these, just imagine that dog it would go crazy because it's just too much to handle. And then the E stands for empathy and that you sort of have that uh, sense for others. And the S stands for the subtle things that you can actually sense if I ask you, how are you doing? And you say, yeah, okay, no, 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 there's something else there. And you sort of see these small things. So it's just one thing that you sort of take in more information and you sort of feel more and, and sense more. And that's sort of your... Expertise in a way, or that's the way your personality is.
0: So, looking back through your life, do you see that you were always sensitive, even as a kid, or did this develop at some point no So, all your yeah, whole yeah, life. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I heard that. Like, it's I heard that from like when I was young. Like, you, you, you're so sensitive and uh, you overthink. And uh, but because I realized that I worry, and and there's so many different examples. Like, if you sort of prepare for something, if you sort of just think about when you're young, you're gonna start start to learn how to dive into this to the lake, for example. It's not only to learn how to dive in it's what will other people think if i do something bad would other people laugh at me afterwards will it be a joke will i get hurt and you know you sort of start thinking about very many steps in the way and in my job that's perfect because i'm a project manager i work with all these planning things so it's perfect to have in a way because that's sort of my expertise also but also it creates a problem if you sort of think about things that you actually not can control and you sort of overthink and you worry and you also think maybe what will you think and what will people react and so on.
0: Yeah, so I, growing up, I dealt with suicidal thoughts and made multiple attempts on my own life. And I too was called sensitive and, and it always felt like a put down. Is it, to feel like an insult to you anytime someone said that? Yeah. 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 No, I,
1: and it's quite strange in a way that you, you have it like that. If you're a caring person and you sort of care about others and you want to
0: help, it's a bad thing. Why do you think that is? Because it's it, seem, it seems to be just ju- men. Like yeah, yeah, women yeah. should be sensitive, but men, oh, what's wrong with you? You sensitive man, you.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, it's it's so strange. But also I think maybe it's also something that is changing as well. Like maybe before you didn't, it was not the same thing. If you go back a hundred years or 200 years, it was like you work out in the forest or in the um, at the farm and you sort of, you had your thing that you needed to do and you just do that job and that's your part of being a provider to the family or whatever you do. And maybe it was not time there to, like, if you sort of bailed or maybe you were not sort of strong enough, maybe you would not get a job. So you just sucked it up and you did your job. And maybe as if you were the one at home with the kid children, you needed to learn and think about caring and thinking how the family doing. So it's maybe just different kind of upbringing, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, I like to think that we're not operating on just pure survival so much we're not just running for our lives every day so we have the clock time and kind of the emotional time to feel and to open up more so yeah i you know i find that sensitive you know being wh- what's wrong with being a caring man like what's wrong with being an empathic man like you know you you said you're always helping people so could you be focused on helping people if you didn't have some level of sensitivity
1: i don't uh, uh, no <laughs> No, but and another thing that I, maybe was also changing is that we get so much more information today. I'm just, uh, I talked to my dad the other day when, and uh, we talked about my grandfather and he had, he was a farm, he worked at the farm and he had also worked as a lumberjack and sort of, and he said that, well, when he sort of went to, he sort of first went to the animals and then he went to sort of get to, to the forest and he was on 45 minutes on the frozen lake with a horse and sleigh and then worked there for the day and then 45 minutes on the back home. And what did you do on those four to five minutes or when, you, when you're working? You had no distractions. You had no iPhone. You had no smartphone. And you were there and you sort of had your time. You could be calm. You can just do, did your thing. And then you got back. And you, did, uh, you provided what you needed to provide. But I think that's if you're a caring person. And today also, I think that's also what happened with me in these years. Like I had the sort of the digital stress that I, that I also could do so much more. I was available for more people. I could always check my email. I can always check my social networks. I could, like the phone just bliped, bliped all the time. So I think that's also a change that comes now that maybe makes this more more important to talk about, I think, because I think it sort of changes a lot.
0: Yeah, more demands on our time, more people that we can help or feel that we need to help. Yeah, And yeah. probably most guys have less support for themselves. Yeah. Right? Especially the kind of thing that you're saying that you thought it was wrong, to worry about yourself or you're selfish and sitting in the sauna, you know, rebuilding your energy was bad. And like, exactly. yeah, no, like it's so crucial that guys realize that putting themselves first actually helps everybody around you. Like not in a, a competitive take stuff away from people, but I find when men are happy, they make people around them happy. Like again, an open-hearted, caring, sensitive man. Even if you're not, you know, labeled highly sensitive, we, are, we all can be more sensitive and care about the people around us. So, if we care about ourselves first, that that caring spreads and flows, and we can be feel supported and helping others at the same time.
1: Yeah, I think maybe that's also the, that we haven't learned. And I also know when I talk about it, uh, I released a book here in Sweden two years ago, and 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 I'm, I sort of sense that it's like. This to talking about vulnerability and sensitivity, like it's very sort of, you don't want, it's like, it's hot. You don't want to sort of, you run away from it in a way. And it's, it's also interesting that it's not that you need to be sensitive all the time. It's not that you need to be vulnerable all the time. But if we need to, we need to be able to talk because we go through life and go through different things. And I think that's the key point because sometimes, well, should I just be crying all the time? No. It's when you're going through something rough, can you talk with your male friends? And I think that's sort of the key because if we haven't, well, I, from my perspective, sometimes we haven't really practiced how to be there for each other because it's, it gets, oh, no, we, we don't want to talk about these sensitive things because it's, uh, I don't know, It's don't talk about it. And then we never practice to be there for each other. And I think that's sort of the key, the key thing.
0: Yeah. No, you've hit on it for sure. And your book is called The Vulnerable Man. So- What does being vulnerable mean to you?
1: In a way, I think it's being honest with yourself. Because when I sort of felt bad, I actually didn't know what was behind that sort of wall in a way. And started actually saying out what actually it was. I started to understand myself. Because before it's just like, maybe you protect yourself. Well, it's your fault. It's your fault. Uh, Soon I will feel better. But the vulnerability, you actually get down to the core of what actually is it that you feel. Because some way, somewhere on the road, you do something that maybe gets you angry or going against yourself, but you don't understand it. Because as I said, this part of me is not correct. But now it's, I don't know, I'm becoming more true to myself and I don't need to sort of put up a different kind of roles or walls or whatever.
0: Yeah, I find it. it's like the willingness to feel, to care. Again, as you said, doesn't mean you always have to be. You don't walk around just being vulnerable 100% of the time. It's just that you don't have this false limit, that you can't go there. You know, I find it really interesting. So you're Swedish, you're joining us from Sweden today, and this is where you grew up and you're raised. And I think in the United States, we have this perception, this belief that, oh, the men in Europe, oh, you're all open and sensitive. And it's, it's just like this this box of masculinity, all these rules and rigidity is really a, a US and American thing, but it's not the case.
1: No, I, of course it's different, but I think there's still some similarities I think out of of course I, I don't know how it is all in us or in different parts of the world but I think there is still something there that we need to think about of course maybe here in Sweden we have more paternity leave and, and men stay more, home more with the kids and maybe you have different kind of discussions on that side but still I think there is there is something there that is still that sort of sensitive part and uh, yeah
0: so looking back and having done the work and gone inside and kind of rebuilding yourself and giving yourself, allowing yourself to feel and to share. What's the best thing? Like what's the best benefit of being highly sensitive or vulnerable?
1: Well, I think it's, I don't know. I feel very calm and very sort of true to myself. It feels since I sort of, in a way I know what I should do. I don't need to worry about it. And I sort of sense other people. I can be more open to, to actually what's going on. And I sort of allow my sort of creativity and I sort of can be in that flow and being doing all these fun things that I did before. But it's also I need to sort of know that, okay, I need to maybe stress down. I need to, like before I go to bed, I know like the last hour I need to sort of cool down. I do my meditation or do some sort of, I don't use the phone. I do these kind of things because I know my, my mind can spin away. I just had a a coaching client just the other day, and we talked about these things actually just to cool down, to just to sort of let yourself relax before you go to bed, or have these sort of times in between, like when you start up in the morning or you take a break in the middle of the day. And just talking about that, you can sort of understand that you actually sense so many different things and your mind spins away, and it can be hard to actually relax. And that was for me such a big understanding because when you are in that flow, you just want to continue. But then it's just like it's hard to relax because. There's always things to do and you can always be connected. Like my grandpa, he couldn't be connected. He could always relax. But now you need to sort of make a choice to disconnect. And I think that's sort of, especially now in this world, I think it's sort of, I'm so glad I've done this journey now because I feel so sort of prepared to this sort of digital world that we're going into to actually balance these things, which I think is crucial in a way. Long answer, maybe. (laughs)
0: And so... So we talked about the best thing is, is there a worse thing even now? Like like once you accept it, is this still like, I really like this, but oh, I hate when this <laughs> part happens. Is there anything like that?
1: Yeah. No, but I, it happens. Of course, it, it's you're humans, you and you experience things. And of course, I can sort of, I know I can overthink. I can I sort of start thinking about what will happen now. And will people worry, especially if I'm stressed or if I sort of maybe have not done my routines, my mind can go and sort of step away and go crazy. And then I, it, it's actually quite hard to actually cool down. But then I know, okay, now I'm, now I'm here. My mind is spinning away. I need to sort of take one step back. So that's, that I can feel. And and especially if I'm tired and sort of out of it, and then it's my mind spins and I get worried. I sleep bad and uh, I maybe get very conscious and is it okay? And you maybe ask the third, fourth, fifth time if, if everything is okay. And that I can still sense because that's sort of my base. What I found was that, I thought people wouldn't like me and I was not sort of appreciated for who I was just because what I did. And I think that comes up a lot That, oh, do you, is it is it okay? Am I doing something wrong? Will you just talk to me now and then leave? I think that worry comes up a lot because that's sort of the thing I've been sort of working with a lot. Yeah.
0: So I've been coaching people for over a decade now and the most consistent thing I keep finding is how much fear is behind men that fear of not being liked, that fear of being judged, of of being disrespected, of being ostracized from the group of other men, from our peers. And it's just, but if you are brave enough to be vulnerable about what you're afraid of, you find out that, at least I've always find out, that other men feel the same way. And that, oh, I'm not as weird and unique and broken and hopeless (laughs) as I might've thought. Exactly. So a lot of guys I meet, they really try to think their emotions. You know, like the engineer types used to have emotions. No, 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 logic, right? <laughs> so your book, you talk about mastering your emotions. What do you mean by mastering your emotions?
1: It's understanding why you react the way you do. If you get angry, why are you angry? And what do you feel? Or do you feel whatever you feel? And why is, why, what happened? And you sort of go back and understand what you feel. I, I say like in the beginning, like if you feel something, just put it out there as an emotion. I feel this. Why is that? What happened? Is it mine? Is it someone else's? Because that's also another thing that you can take on, whatever other people feel as well. And it's going sort of understanding all the patterns behind it. And then that's sort of, because then you know, and you don't need to react to that sort of maybe in the moment feeling. Because then you can say, oh, well, I did this yesterday and this before. So, well, I'm going against sort of my beliefs. Oh, then you understand why. And then you can sort of understand it. And also to actually allow yourself to feel. Because get so many impressions. And it's not strange to feel because we can get mad. We can get angry. We can get surprised. And it's a reaction. But also, if you allow that, it can also that you just let it out. That you, don't, you let it go and you actually feel that emotion. And then it's not stuck within you. And I think that is what, if you don't feel these things, it will be stuck within you. And just a little thing will just make you crazy. But if you sort of practice and allow yourself to feel, that's what I do a lot as well. It's like, oh, I feel this now. What is it? Okay, but I'll just process it. Or you can just feel that angriness or being sad or being worried and allow it. Then it's it's okay, I don't need it anymore. It's just letting, blowing off some steam or just like letting that smoke go away. You don't need it anymore. And then you're
0: more light in your body. Yeah, I mean, emotions to me, I mean, energy in motion. So our emotions want to come through us, be felt and expressed and leave. So too many people I meet, when they seem to hear mastering emotions, it seems to be grab those emotions and hold on and deny them, (laughs) like, no, (laughs) like, it, so it's not letting your emotions master you and just be, you know, reacting only to emotions. But, you know, I love what you're saying. It's ask questions. What's behind this? Is there something else? And, and often, you know, I find that the first feeling we notice, there are other feelings below that. So there's, the, you know, it might be anger. It might be, you know, guilt. It might be shame. It's like whatever we're most willing to feel. And all the other ones, you got to take it apart. And if you do, if you lean into it, ask yourself what it is. And, and again, if it's yours it passes easier and quicker. And on the other side of every so-called negative emotion is feeling better. Yeah. What you resist, persists. Right. Yep. Yeah. And too many guys will touch an emotion and recoil. And like, oh, no, I don't want to touch yeah, that. I don't want yeah. to really feel that anymore. But yeah, you say exactly. be willing to feel it.
1: Yes. Because if you haven't practiced to feel, then it's like you feel something. And because I remember in the beginning and I sort of like the first therapy session, I, I just started to cry. And it's like, oh, no, I should not cry. And she's like, just, just let it go. And it's not a nice feeling because it's like you don't want to feel. But when you start to learn, you just allow it. It, it just passes. It's like a wave and it goes through. It passes through. And if you learn how to handle it, it, it will not. Of course, it's not nice to, to let the emotions out sometimes, but you know that it's, it's okay afterwards. And just to learn that process, if you haven't done that, it's quite rough.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and for myself and my clients, I always say that when we're willing and able to feel every emotion, the moment it comes up and just feel like that moment's emotions, not from 10 years ago, not being re-triggered, not all the stuff we denied, that's when we're really alive and free and, and living in the moment and being our full selves. But yeah, it takes, you know, the longer you've denied that, the more you've been taught, don't feel, the more painful it can be to break yes. through that.
1: Yeah. yeah. But it's no, worth it's so- it. I just remember I saw this, uh, it's a movie called The Work. It's a documentary about uh, people in prison. I think it's uh, from US and uh, they have this sort of the work, doing the work at the prison with sort of people coming, not like people in prison and also other uh, coming in and they're doing this kind of work. And they're talking about actually allowing emotions. And I just remember it was, they did it. One guy was there and he said like, okay, what do you want to talk about? He said, well, I want to be able to cry for my sister who passed away. And he had never learned how to cry. And it's okay. So the team gets together, the group gets together around him. And the the sort of coach talks to him and said, okay, just allow it. And you can see, sort of, first, like he gets really angry because it's not a comfortable emotion. You want to sort of maybe hit someone. Maybe that's what he did before. But then we sort of, when when he just helps him, allow to sort of get and actually cry, crying for some of sisters that passed. And he can, but when actually could cry. And it was so strong emotions. So it was just, it's so much that has been sort of pushed in for such a long time. And it was many different sort of occasions during that, uh, the movie there. And it was quite interesting to see that for men to sort of actually allowing these feelings that they've been pushed down for such a long time. And like, I don't know, it was, uh, I can really recommend that, that movie of course.
0: So you have your lived experience, you discover a more authentic, joyous way to live, to actually feel your emotions and connect with people. What prompted you to write your book? It
1: was after I sort of did my journey, uh, sort of did my inner journey. I went um, through a lot of changes and I decided to go on uh, the pilgrimage in in Spain. It's called um, El Camino. It's uh, St. Jacob's. uh, I think it's in English. And I went to that. And then you meet so many great people on that uh, Camino. I've been sort of thinking about it for a long time, but I went there. And at that time, I met this guy. He was maybe, I don't know, 23, 24. And we started talking and I was then at that time, quite open with my journey. And I was like, oh, what well, I did this. I cried about this. And I went through this. And I, sort of, I was quite open. And I can just we sort of talking. And, and then I realized that my thoughts and my sharing my experience, it helped him to open up. And then I started to realize, well, that's was sort of the big thing as well. For me, going to different events and you sort of go to this and you have these sharing groups and you sort of talk and you hear others talk. And then it's like, oh, you talk about this. Oh, you the same. And you sort of, I remember once I sort of asked like, you know, this difficult question of, have ever, anyone ever thought about taking your own life? I was so ashamed to actually just mention it because that's like, then I'm crazy. And everyone, yeah, of course. We've all thought that thought once in a while. And then I thought like, okay, it was hard for me to start talking. And it was when I heard others that it was easy for me to start talking. And then I thought, I've been written a diary for a long, long time. And then I thought, I can actually share my words and my journey over three years from these sort of dark thoughts and to sort of finding myself again. Because that's what I think is a struggle. Is It's like you do something and then you fall. And then you sort of, oh, I'm so bad. I, what, what, this is just me. And you sort of have that thought. But then I thought, you can actually follow my mind and what actually I think. And then I share my sort of experience together with that. So that was sort of the starting uh, Sort of
0: signal for this, <laughs> for the book. So it was uh, yeah, about four years ago. Yeah, and I just want to touch on that—that that shame and embarrassment of, of suicidal thoughts. Suicidal thoughts are horribly common. In some situations, they can be logical. I feel hopeless and helpless. I don't know what to do. Well, that's one thing I can do. I can just end. Is that what I want to do? Like, so having the thought doesn't mean you're crazy. Doesn't mean you're mentally ill. It just means you are searching for answers. And that's one answer that your mind, your memory, seeing things in the news, it might offer as a solution. And the key to me is like the thought, don't beat yourself up over that, it's just a thought. If you start taking actions, if you do more than kind of mental planning, well now you really crossed a line and it's still not a line of shame or embarrassment, but it's a line of you need help. Exactly.
1: And if someone starts talking about it, we should also be open to listening because I think that's sort of, if someone talks about it, it's like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't even think about it. Then we stop it because I think that's sort of the, one of the problems because it's a rough situation, but it's also like to be there to listen. If someone talks about it, okay, how can I help you? And be that friend because it's, if someone just talks about it, it's, it's delicate as well. So you should be open and caring and being there for your friend.
0: Yeah. This is a challenge for men. As you expressed earlier, you want to fix it. When someone's really in a pain, just be there, just listen. The best thing you can do sometimes is just to sit there in silence and listen. Because I know I was terrified. I always thought if someone knew the real me, they would run. So I wouldn't tell anybody how I was thinking, how I was feeling, because I thought they would, again, driven by fear. I thought I would be more abandoned. I, I already felt abandoned, so it didn't make much sense that all these people I, who I think don't like me, if they prove to not like me, <laughs> like what's the difference? But again, we did, we'll try to make logical sense of it. At least I did. I would try to make logical sense that suicide is the right thing to do, and it just, you know, it feels bad. Suicide thoughts feel bad because they're not what we're supposed to do. Like, our emotions are giving us information, And this is something that I learned that helped me realize it that I could control my thoughts. And I would think about, I should just end my life. I'd I'd look at a tree and I, I would just see myself hanging from there and I'd feel horrible. And then my dog came in the room like, oh, hey, Homer. And I'd feel better just changing my focus. Like, and it finally like, whoa, like nothing changed except my thought changed and what I was focusing on. So again, it's another way to, if we embrace our emotions, if we allow ourselves to feel, we get more information and it's hopefully information coming in, not in a way that overwhelms you if you're a sensitive person, but you can take it apart. You can feel into it. And again, ask the why, make better decisions, find a place to openly share, a therapist, a men's group, a coach, all these things are meant to support men. And that's what I love seeing more and more, more guys raising their hand saying, I'm struggling, I would like support. And again, I'm saying, so if you have a friend in that space, just listen. Just, just don't turn your back. That can be the most supportive thing you ever do in your life. Yep. Cool. So the book is now out internationally, but it was previously released only in Sweden. Yeah. So you've you've had some reaction. What's the reaction been to the book? For me, of course, it's
1: my first book, so it's been overwhelming. But it's been
0: people have been very grateful
1: for it because it's such an open book, and and a lot of people can relate to it. And it's like, thank you so much just for sharing this. Actually, many guys as well as been sort of contact me. And so just say thank you. And I have actually one story that one guy that I knew a bit before. And he sort of just reached out to me and said, like, thank you so much for your book. I read it. And I went to this sort of yoga retreat in the south of Sweden. He went to that event. It was like for highly sensitive people. And he sort of understood about that. And it changed so much for him because he sort of went through and he saw these sort of teenage things that he also sort of been bullied and he sort of could move through that. And he was like... You took this now and it's sort of, you helped me go through that. And, and some of similar stories like that. And it's just, um, because that was for sort of my, my goal with this is to help. And if, if my story can help someone to take that first step, it's not strange. It's uh, so, so for that, it was really nice uh, just to get that um, notice. Yeah.
0: Yes. So many things that we torture ourselves over are really normal, common and actually beneficial for us if we allow ourselves yeah. to use it and to feel it. I think the first time I heard of a highly sensitive man, highly sensitive persons, it was a listener to Real Men Feel sent me an email saying, thanks for making a home for highly sensitive men. And I was like, I would not heard the term and I was like, and I was triggered. I was like, what do you, no, what are you calling me? Sensitive, what what the hell? And And it's such a weird thing. Like I can be here and say, I'm a sensitive man and feel fine with it. But if you sent me a message, if you're like, oh, there's Andy, he's so sensitive. I'm, it's still like, it yeah, triggers me still. It's so weird. Yeah.
1: Do you yeah, find I know. that? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I see that a lot, especially sort of launching the book in Sweden. And uh, it's, it's sort of like this sensitive thing. It's, uh, oh, no, yeah, I don't want to be sensitive. But then when you talk, well, it's sensory processing sensitivity. It's like you're processing a lot of information. Oh, that's what it means. Because I think that sensitivity is it's like a word that is maybe misinterpreted or something like that. But when you talk about, oh, it's it's just that you process more information. You think about a lot of things. Oh yeah, that's true. Well, that makes sense. And then it's like it's just totally different thing. When I like I had my the coaching client the other day, and we talked about that like when you sit in a meeting and you sort of can sort of react to what people think and you sort of want to help everyone and just imagine that you sort of take on different kinds of feelings because you want to make sure that everyone is okay. And it's like, yeah, that's just like me and I say well you don't need to be responsible for, for all these sort of emotions and feelings going around going around this room you can focus on your ah oh, well that's good and just like talking about that you can do these kind of things it's also interesting because it's like oh this is the way I feel Burr. well but as you said with the dog as well like it will pass and it can also be that you meet someone else that is angry and you just take on that feeling or sad and just to understand and process it and seeing oh it's just something that you take on and that's also that it's, it's science as well that you take on this with sort of this mirror neurons. Oh, this is <laughs> difficult English words for me. But also then it's like if someone you walk with a friend and they hit uh, their foot in, in a rock and, and they hurt, and you also hurt a bit. And it's because we're supposed to sense each other because it's helping. And then it's like, oh, but sometimes we don't take that discussion. I think that is one of the important things to talk about, that it's we react to things that happens. And we react based on the moment right now and our history and what we have learned and how we grew up. And that's why you react to this. It's like this sort of big thing behind you, why you just make this kind of decision. Oh, yeah, that's true. And then, oh, that's what it is. It's like a computer. You You process a lot of information.
0: I think the, I guess the negative tilt to sensitive, it comes across as, you know, you're calling someone soft or weak. Yeah. But I love how you're phrasing it now, but really being sensitive is a skill set. It allows me to take more information in and take, you know deal with it and, or maybe we should say with some practice, with some more skills of how to use this superpower, you can then deal with it better and connect with people easier and, you know, as you say, reclaim your life and a better life too, not reclaiming a life of denial and misery and yeah. happiness, right? <laughs> that one can stay in the past. What I see is like, I
1: have some sort of occasions during my teenage years then I had some bullies and, and people acted strange or were hard on me. And I can see those moments actually triggers me today. I was afraid for these teenage boys still today. And when I sort of understand that, okay, that's why I was maybe, I don't know, getting upset or worried today, was these things happened before. Because I was afraid that they, oh, this will be on me now for many, many years. Or like people will chase me or haunt me. And then also understanding, okay, that's why I react. That's, then also you understand your sensitivity and why you might get sad or worried. It's that something that could have happened before. And then also you sort of dismantle what, what your reactions are. And then you say, well, I don't need to care about these teenage boys anymore. Yeah, that's true. And then you sort of can also move on. But then it's also understanding. It's also seeing what is behind that reaction. Why are you reacting like that? What are you afraid of?
0: Yeah, it's like the fear makes our choices feel limited. So we'll just go like, well, I survived that instance when I was 13 by running away and crying in the woods or whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, but oh, wait, if I'm willing to feel more, I'm willing to think more, have more opportunities, more possibilities, more choose a reaction instead of just be automatically reactive. Yeah, all these things are like part of growing up, part of becoming your own man. But if, again, if we're not help supported, told that that's the wrong thing to do, it never can happen.
1: Yeah, and I think we also sort of spot on the maybe the most important thing for men, that we understand this. Because like what I did was that I built up this role that this is not okay. And I think a lot of us do that. So we adapt. And it's sort of, we have this role that we should not talk. We should not be open. And then it's also then scary today because it's a big fear of, because you have managed life, you've sort of escaped, this is the way I should be. And then it's really hard to actually go back to these sort of teenage years and go through that. And I think that's sort of maybe the key thing to understand for men that it is hard. It could be feeling like you will die. It will be fear of losing everything. It's like a big, big fear to go through that. But it's also a process to go through to help your children. So I think that's maybe sometimes when I sort of when I talk about this when we say women say, well, men should talk about this, men should do this, men should do this. But then also you sort of put a challenge on them and it could become a fight. And I think that's why we sort of need to open up to understand, yes, it is difficult, and we need to help each other. To go there, because this is our history. Maybe we didn't need to learn when we were young, like women did. Okay, so we haven't learned. We haven't learned how to ride that bike. Then we need to learn. And we need to be humble and sort of help each other in that process. I think that's sort of one of the key things, I think.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. So is there a habit, a practice, a program, a book that helped you that you would like to share with others right now?
1: So many books. I love reading. (laughs) Paulo Coelho's book. I like his books. I like to read um, oh what is it called? Robin Sharma's books I like those Eckhart Tolle of course ah oh, there's so many so many good books
0: <laughs> cool and was there a habit was there a practice that I mean you mentioned meditation earlier is there something the most powerful tool you found or something else that really helped you open up and, and be willing to feel
1: yeah, I think it was sort of was like doing the practice and actually doing things and um, like so many different things helped me like yoga in the beginning was was rough because it was like meeting these emotions and staying in presence and staying in that feeling and then allowing myself to feel my emotions was also one big thing um, because then I sort of learned how to handle these things and then my, my pilgrimage in um, El Camino. That also helped me like doing these long hikes and also that process of just walking and those sort of that exercise. And, and it doesn't mean that you know to need to go for long marathons and runs, but just to sort of be outside in nature and just moving. And uh, that also helped me a lot. So sort of now when the sort of the Corona hit and you're working from home, I just realized when I've gone through my big crisis, I just increase my sort of exercise and my way of just moving around. So when it happened, working from home, I just said, okay, I need to do something in the morning because otherwise I sort of walked to work. So I set a morning routine of working out. I said, I need to do something around lunchtime, just like get out 20, 30 minutes. And I do sort of something after work in between, like these times in between to use that. And I use like my meditation to sort of calm down. So it's helping myself having routines to, to balance the day and so on.
0: Cool. Yeah, I find that the structure helps guys so much of setting a routine, having some rituals, having specific times that you do things. And maybe it's because that, that structure, a beneficial structure, helps us eliminate all the false structure and lies that we've been operating under that. We're not supposed to feel, don't do that, don't think this. All that structure can fall away by with a more supportive structure with, with movement and feeling.
1: Yeah. No, but I, I think that like in society today, we, we are sort of fooling ourselves as humans. Like we have, so we don't need to move, exercise. We don't need, we can eat as much as we want and we can consume as much information as we can. Which is not normal for us. Before we have had these normal ways of, like if I say my grandpa working in the woods, he had a normal exercise that you sort of let things go through and it, your body works and you needed to eat and, and it doesn't <laughs> no matter how much you ate and you had a, you didn't have as much information. But today, all this goes just against our sort of structure of being a man or a person is that what you should do is you should rest if you got the possibility, because you should be ready for hunting or running away. So you should rest. It's just how how you're wired. And you should eat if there's a possibility, because you never know when you will get food again. And then we have the last thing with the connected world is that you should make sure that everything is safe. Are there any risks out there? And that's what happened with the smartphone. It triggers us to sort of check for danger. Or making sure that the team is okay so all these things we can stay home in our sofa order food, to, food <laughs> to our home and just be connected all the time and then we sort of create a sort of micro stress all the time that is not actually real so we need to sort of be more aware or conscious about how we live today and we didn't need to think like this in 50 or 100 years ago and that sort of, for me, is a big switch that's going on right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, the whole notion of vulnerability and sharing it or hiding it, it's so weird. Like, men have no problem. Oh, I'm tired today. Well, oh, that's f- vulnerable. Or I'm hungry. I haven't eaten. Like, well, oh, that that's a vulnerable state. We're, we're not nourished. We're not fully fueled. But if it's like, oh, I feel sad today. Oh, well, that, that. no, that's not allowed. Like, it's a. <laughs> with, there are some aspects of vulnerability that are okay and some that still, it triggers us. So... But uh, yeah, so I, I'm so glad that you successfully went through your journey and that you've written your book and you're sharing it with others because, yeah, one of the most powerful things is when a, a guy can discover that he's not alone and whatever he's dealing with going through, that there's nothing wrong. And indeed, indeed, if it's high sensitivity, there's 20% of the world is right there with you. And that's probably an underestimate. So, Thomas, what's the best way for people to connect with you, find out what you're up to and learn more about the book? Well, you can find me on my website or also sort of Instagram and, and or Facebook things. It's uh,
1: thomasanderson.se. So that's where people can reach out. That's also sort of my address on Insta
0: and, and LinkedIn and all these different platforms. Beautiful. At Real Men Feel in the show notes, we'll have all of your socials and bonafides and ways to connect. And is the book available in, you know on Amazon yeah. globally and everywhere? Yeah. yeah,
1: Yeah, it's available everywhere. Cool.
0: Well, again, I really appreciate you taking the time. I love to connect across the pond and (laughs) have you in Sweden and hear me in the States and helping me discover just how the challenges of masculinity, the lies that we've been told, they don't really know country borders. It really is this global falsehood of trying to limit what a man can be. And the definition of masculinity that matters most is yours. And if your definition doesn't feel joyous and happy and uplifting – Make a new one.
1: Yeah, and it's not that we're taking away anything. We can still look at football, we can still drink our beer, we can still do these manly things. It's just that when it's needed, we should be there for ourselves as a friend. I think that's sort of the key thing because it's like, oh,
0: should I not be able to do this? Of course you can. It's just be there for your friends when they need a friend to talk to. Yep, and sometimes truly just being there, there's no action to take, just stay there. Don't turn your back. Don't tell them anything. You don't have to be tell them anything. Just say, just nod. Like, let those mirror neurons work. Yes. <laughs> just feel, feel the connection. Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right, again, thanks again, Thomas. Thanks, everybody, for listening to us today. Wherever you're hearing Real Men Feel, please subscribe, share this with somebody, post a review, a comment. You can reach out at realmenfeel at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And now you can directly support the show. There's a link in the bottom. You can support as little as 99 cents let more men discover that they aren't alone. I'm going to give a shout out to Sean, who was the first person to sponsor the show that way. Thanks so much for Sean. Thanks for everybody else. And until next time, be good to yourself.